This is a very special episode of Through the Window, News of the Century. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Through the Wind Door with your friends Greg and Toby. And this is News of the Century. And we're going to be talking about Back in Time and Space, the newest New Century book to come out. And every time I do this introduction, it's like, okay, how many times can I say new in, in, in a quick progression? I'm sorry. Uh, I know. Point- how many books can we do in a year? <laughs> Toby hasn't even had his coffee yet, and he's already punchy. I'm already a little bit there myself, and I just, I, I, it just squirted a little of the Mio energy that I use, put that into my water. Um, but I just woke up from a nap, and now I'm already starting to get some of Toby's level of energy here. So, it helps that we're, this is our first news episode where we're doing the video thing to bounce off one another. So oh, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. adding extra dimensions to this. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So in order to start talking about back in time and space, we literally have to go back. All the way back. Years and years to 2019. Yes, that's how Another long. Another era. Was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> When I first heard about this book, it was even before Uncivil Outlaw had come out. Alex specifically had shared, not the graphics, not the cover yet, but the logo he was going to be using for Uncivil Outlaw and then Back in Time as well. And it was a nice little electric blue. It was small. It was relatively simple. And he described it as being the closest thing that he would ever do to a time travel story, which sort of set expectations at a certain point. And then at some point after Toby and I started recording on Through the Wind Door in 2020, Alex put out a whole slew of these titles showing off the stuff that he had in mind for Phase 2. In that thing, we, we talked about these various titles and what we thought these stories were going to be based on everything that we had known up to this point. This was after Toby and I had already read, although not talked about, Uncivil Outlaw, which meant that some of our initial expectations for Back in Time was specifically that it was going to be an Abigail story, and therefore about her experiences in whatever future she came to, and we assumed it was going to be a future, because of the final events of Uncivil Outlaw that showed us what dimension she was sent to. By the way, in case it isn't obvious, in case it isn't obvious by the brand of News of the Century, this is going to be full spoilers for the book. But because of the nature of what the story is, it means that we're going to have to refer to a lot of stuff in New Century itself. Yeah. Which means we're not that... just spoiling this, we're spoiling Stone Spring, we're spoiling it's like going like, okay, like I'm gonna look at Endgame. That shouldn't give me any indication of what happened in the other things, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean maybe not intentionally, but you also might not get the the implications of some of those events. 
yeah. if you haven't seen those other movies and everything like that. I mean, it does its best. But yeah, you shouldn't start your MCU experience with watching Endgame. That's just, what are you even doing, man? So that was our expectations. And leading up to this book, more and more, we didn't even know what expectations to have because Alex was being so cagey about what this book was even going to be about. He gave a hint of the cover of it, I want to say about a month or so before it released, and it was just a close-up of Doc Edwards' jacket and him looking at his watch and everything like that. And we didn't even, like, it was so close in, we didn't know who this was. It took me a while to even figure out that that might be, like, uh, clothing and a watch and stuff and everything like that. We now understand more than ever just how much of a time travel story it is. And, well, let me actually lead into the introduction that I wrote for this. So if you'll bear with me for a moment, Toby. I know that I often like to let you get the first say on this, since you're the one that's carrying around the most You've been waiting longer. You've been waiting longer. Please have at it. All right. Well, to start us off... A few months back, Alex decided to switch things around a little in terms of how one should read the New Century series this far. Obviously, this kind of change is not only not new, it's kind of one of the ongoing features of New Century. This expanding world that Alex and Sharon have crafted has gone through multiple different iterations since it was originally imagined. Sometimes it's small changes like adjusting a part of the text, changing a book title, or picking a new voice actor for an already written role. Sometimes it's medium changes, such as when a few months back, Alex decided to reorder the chapters of Stone Spring Maidens as the audio drama was coming out in order to make it more accessible to new readers. And sometimes it's major changes, like adding entire books to the saga, the way Princess Thieves, Christmas Thieves, and Let Them Go were added. This more recent change might be considered small, but it makes sense in terms of the overall storytelling experience. Phase 1 was originally conceived to be all books up till Steamheart, due to the fact that they were all written in more or less that order. But since only some of those books were meant to be a part of a single storytelling arc, the official order now only includes The Cartographer's Handbook, Secret Rooms, Tiger's Eye, Arlington, and Steamheart would let them go as a prologue. Phase two now begins with The Princess Thieves and includes all books up to the most recent Back in Time and Space. Originally, phase two was meant to include two more Thieves books and then end with a novel that Alex compared to Infinity War called Hidden Doors. Now, Back in Time and Space is meant to be the culmination of the arc of phase two and all of those other books will be in Phase 3. That means that on top of everything else, we have to consider the implications, Princess Thieves now being the beginning of this arc, and the book that we are talking about today being the end of this arc. But because this is news of the century, I'm going to focus on that last one. On the face of it, it actually makes perfect sense. New Century has gone through multiple iterations, and this fundamental truth is baked not only into the paratext, but also into the text and the subtext of the series. The Cartographer's Handbook, We the Audience Read, 
is the second iteration of the in-universe handbook. The stories of Secret Rooms, Tiger's Eye, Arlington, and Steamheart exist within the universe of New Century, thanks to the journalist Raven. Now at the end of Phase 2, we have a story that is all about changing the course of events through the power of time travel. By the time BITNS is done, we not only have brought back together much that was sundered thanks to the events of Steamheart and Uncivil Outlaw, but we also see how Charlie and the Doc go through multiple iterations of their course of events we know so well to find the right places to bring change so that they can have a world where our family of heroes live and are ready to face the coming threats. In this moment, Charlie, a representation of balance thanks to their gender-fluid identity, has the ultimate agency to change the world and make it better. They do not have great wisdom, although indeed, as Alex himself loves to quote, even the very wise cannot see all ends. Charlie does, however, have the bravery to try, the desire to do better, and the capacity to learn from their mistakes. Charlie is not only the very essence of a hero, but could even be considered an avatar of Alex, as he makes change after change to New Century to make it a better story. But that's the meta text. What of the story of back in time and space itself? As it begins in both the first chapter and on the cover, it would seem to be an homage to Back to the Future, a fun little time travel comedy with surprising depth. But indeed, before Act One is complete, the stakes have risen far beyond the personal issues of Marty McFly and Doc Brown, as they try not only to save the lives of the people Seth is infected, but work with their time-traveling Jeep Cherokee to save even more lives if possible. And as we follow them on this journey, we see Charlie and Doc gain a new proper respect for the responsibility that comes with the power of time travel, but also the weight that they carry with them as they bring about new timelines filled with new potential. Potential for such beautiful dreams and such horrible nightmares. Over and over, they have to go back and undo what they have done because something greater and darker chases them and threatens to destroy this reality entirely. With her, Charlie carries totems of those failed timelines as her burden gets heavier and heavier. Merlane tells us that every magic has a cost. And while we do not yet know the real-world cost of some of these magics, it feels like the cost of meddling with time does not come about as a physical toll on the wielder. Instead, it's the cost of responsibility, taken form through the memory of their experiences, and the way those memories and that responsibility sets them apart from all others. At the end, the version of Abigail that is and is not Charlie's mother tells her that she looks like she's been through the wars. And we understand why she says that. We have been with her every step of the way, and our own hearts break for her. For no matter that she saved the day, she is still an outsider, a remnant of a world that no longer exists.
And though she embraces and is embraced by a world that is not the one she grew up in, she will forever carry that weight. Back in time and space is now the end of a narrative arc. It is the end of Charlie's old world and the beginning of their new one, a coming of age story and the hero's journey and a lot of other things besides. It has beginnings and endings baked into every iota of it. Talking about it is a little bit like trying to talk about epistemology or life or the fundamental nature of stories and their role in society. And that feels a little bit beyond the remit of a subshow of a podcast that is supposed to be all about our hot takes on a new novel. But over the next couple hours, we will do our best to try and externalize our thoughts and feelings about this heavy story for your entertainment. Great Scott, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, what? Okay, let's let's just get a whole three-hour podcast worth of quality into a wonderfully written condensement of like uh, my blundering is the exact thing. Like, what else could I do in response to that? <laughs> well, okay. My so... gods. <laughs> I'm not trying to take no take, take take the scene away from you, but obviously, no. I, I I I've been thinking about this since I finished it weeks ago, and I went back and reread it with you as you were reading it to refresh my mind and have a few new conversations with Alex along the way, and I'd been thinking a lot about it in the run up, and I realized that in order to center myself, in order to quell the the thoughts going on in my head. I needed to do a little bit of a brain dump. I needed to get some of those thoughts onto paper ahead of time uh, to make some kind of coherent statement about it. I know that you were going to be doing your own preparations for this to sort of get your... They are very on. minor. They are <laughs> okay. very minor, I assure you. I just okay. went over the back matter and uh, just sort of that helped me to gain perspective and a little bit more of a grounding in how the flow of the book goes and it also was i'm very glad i did it because it even includes a little sort of one last emotive moment mm. of characters who kind of do and don't fall by the wayside which is the alternate versions of james and abigail from centrum who ended up being infected by seth and then that whole timeline got undone by them like changing mm. the timeline, which means that Charlie Penrose Gray is and and as is uh, Edward, they are orphans of that timeline. Is a specific mm -hmm. phrase that I thought. And while it's staggering to try and think about the implications of all those timelines that had to be sort of undone and hopefully reforged into something better. I think ending the book with just a little frozen moment and it's encapsulated by these versions of the characters just feeling all of the passing of time melting away just because everything is okay. That was a lovely thing to sort of have in there that mm -hmm. you can think about 
the complexities of time travel because I said this the other day in conversation with Sarah, we are all travelers through time. We are all moving forward. The present is ever shifting and we are continuously re-examining our own past while considering the future. We are always conceptually moving forwards, backwards, and like potentially even sideways into alternate timelines in our own minds as we try to navigate the world. And sometimes that voice in our heads or that version of ourselves that has to make sense of the chaos of everything has to, without necessarily planning to, stop just to do what Annie Oakley would say and to just sort of vent and feel what you feel right now. And that can be in a very cathartic way or it can be in a way of content peace, as you see here. I think it is our emotive feelings that help us to not only navigate time and our perception of it, but to situate ourselves in a place. And that's what that scene means to me. I love listening to you talk. I love listening to you talk, Greg. No, but I mean, it's, <laughs> I think I'm sometimes at my best when I'm able to prepare myself the experience of writing things um, mm. often works better for me in general because it means that I am able to get rid of the cruft ahead of time and go over what I'm actually going to say to make sure it says what I want it to say. And then I can distribute that piece of writing or in the case of Through the Windor, I read it out for audacity, insert it into our podcast in the right place at the right time and it just feels like i am putting a a, a a single piece of order into what sometimes can be a far more chaotic experience of the two of us talking mm. and a lot of the time when i when i'm going to have a conversation that i know i'm going to have ahead of time i sometimes think about the exact word that i'm going to use in order to explain what it is that i want to say um, because otherwise I'm worried about gears just grinding and me fumbling for understanding. But it happens sometimes just in the moment when I'm talking, but more often when I listen to you talk, it's just just some incredible piece of wisdom or wordplay or whatever just tumbles from your mouth, and all I can do is just sort of sit here and witness it. So this this is... That, that, that we have different strengths, I think, and I appreciate, as always, what you bring to the table to make this this little corner of creation here stronger overall. It, it's uh, I find any creative act worth uh, like that's worth doing is an act of chemistry often, mm -hmm. and that's why I always love interacting with you through this because, as you say, you have your strengths, I have my strengths, and. You know, don't get me wrong, like, for the most part, preparing beforehand is so essential. It helps you to lay things out. It helps you to just sort of put yourself in that headspace and to make sense of it. But what I love is that element of chaos that can mean that, as, and that's what this book shows, is that, like, you can make plans, but sometimes it will just be, for no particular reason, things will just shift in a particular way because you have an, one 
particular impulse to follow this train of thought rather than that one. And in the version of like through the window that is a timeline or two over, maybe what I just said was something else. Maybe it was awful. Maybe it was better. But what I love is that act of just choosing the paths of conversation and that's uh, it's always daunting and exhilarating about all of this and news is that down to 11 so this is what we're talking about we're only hmm. tangentially discussing the book itself because we're talking and about the experience our minds <laughs> expanded what is this book greg what is this book? This is wrinkling my brain, man. It's so much, dude. All right, like, all right, all right. Let's 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 try and reimpose some order on this. Yeah, um, I mean, you I, come to news at one point. You had to just expect like emotive noises coming from <laughs> either Greg, myself, or both. It's just mm, it's part of the package deal. It it, it really is. But mm. okay, so. You've heard my introduction, and it encompasses mm. everything from the beginning to the end to a mm -hmm. whole bunch of other experiences. Mm -hmm. I want you to expound now on what your experience was reading this book. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so let's start at the beginning, even though it's not actually the beginning. It's sort of <laughs> a little ways down the middle of like the chain of events, mm -hmm. appropriately enough. I'm very glad that you brought up what our expectation was going into the book, because let it be clear, we did not always know that this book was called Back in Time and Space, or mm. Back in Time plus Space. You can sort of, it's one of those like things that you can kind of take it back either way. Mm. We thought this was just called Back in Time. It was only the day we got it where it's like, okay, this is not just this. We're also thinking fourth dimensionally and yes i know that alex would probably argue that it's fifth dimensionally as that's the term that he's used a number of times but i'm not going to go back and ask toby to correct every single time he mentions fourth dimensionally so we'll just go with what was actually recorded doc in the back to the future trilogy is saying like you need to think fourth dimensionally like just all of this stuff it's a title that is saying look there's time travel and then there's time travel drawn in a chalkboard like we are mapping this shit out and we are going to get it all there but our expectation that i wanted to focus on was that it would be about abigail because mm. right in uh uncivil outlaw when we get that confirmation that this world that she has dropped herself in has Nickelback and <laughs> that comes full circle and I loved it because that was the thing that we always held on to was like oh it's like this world has Nickelback and we were thinking there would be artwork of like Abigail wearing a Nickelback t-shirt or something like that and mm. then eventually we find that the timeline is called Nickelback this mm. world is called Nickelback <laughs> oh my god but that's not the wrinkle that I'm talking about you start the book and it's a recreation of that wonderful opening moment in Back to the Future. And mm -hmm. you're like, okay, this is an homage. And then the characters, like, inside it, when Charlie picks up the phone, it's like, Doc, I know this is an homage, and I know the film you're doing. <laughs> what, do, what do you want? And you're sort of like, we knew that this was an homage, but the characters know, okay, what, what year is this? What's <laughs> going on? And then you go out, and it's just like, 
2019 and you go oh, oh god <laughs> it's a pivotal moment and you're uh, and you're thinking wow uh, man what's this mean and you go to the school and this charlie character seems pretty cool yeah we like charlie and then Alex does what he always fucking does, and he gives us a character who then meets another character that we know, and they go, hi, mum, or hi, dad, and it's just like, what? What? And this time, it's the like, one of the biggest headfucks ever, and we're only pages in! Yes, We are yes. pages it's, in. It starts and, as it means to go on, yeah. yes. Then you, you go on, and by the end of it, you see that James is there, and all these things that is pre the time jump to 1884 or 74, I'm getting the decade, uh, day zero, or like the instant oh, web. It's, it's 1884. Yeah. So everything before that with the book, I had read the first couple of chapters. Essentially, what I often do with this is that the weekend uh, new new century book comes out i want to just read at least the first couple of chapters because i want that taste and then what i tend to do is like life interrupts because it doesn't enjoy fun uh but life interrupts and i think okay i want to just sort of consume all of this so i'm going to wait until i've just done a like sort of a big work thing and then i can commit a day or two to just sort of go through this and you know write down all my thoughts just like note everything so all of this stuff at the beginning feels like wonderful setup and you don't know the half of it mm. i didn't notice those dashes did you notice those dashes we were looking at two timelines man i didn't know this i like barely worked it out until like alex like told us at the end of the back matter i apologize by the way if all of this just sort of like head blowing up moments is difficult to listen to we're, we're just getting started but um then you go back to the past and i don't know what to expect i don't know what this story is going to be like it's a we're going on an adventure through time and space that's like you know we know we're doing that but what's the reason what are we trying to accomplish here and when you go back seth's alive what I, I had that, like, my perfect response was just like, we thought you died. Um, like, <laughs> we, we talked about this, of like how his, like, his story was done. And it's like, maybe there are loose ends. And I didn't realize one of the loose ends was the, the guy was going to show up alive again. And the, But like then a lot of people we care about die. And I, I described that scene and how it's narrated as like a found footage horror movie, mm. like re just suddenly in the middle of this. And a lot of this book is so well directed. Like you could, you can see how this would work in a film. And yet, and yet this uses the format of a book or an audio book beautifully because you don't know when some scenes are different to others, you're reading words that like, oh, and then Charlie and the doc came through the door. And mm. that's no indicator to say, like that's there's an ambiguity there because of text on the page or like when these words are read out, because of like your mind having to fill in the blanks, it takes advantage of that. While this book is like one of the most cinematic in New Century because of 
the reference material and all this modern culture which is sort of referenced and like the characters you're following love this stuff and you love it too so you're with them despite that despite it being so cinematic it uses the format of books so well and i'm going to take a breather for a moment greg any thoughts on any of the thousand points i've just relayed the problem is is that as far as everything that you have related thus far i like okay yeah i gotta remember that okay yeah i gotta remember that and then i then four 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 levels in i'm like i don't remember anything i'm sorry it's perfectly okay i'm just i'm just letting you move with the flow Mm -hmm. here and that's that's fine overall that's fine for what it is having now gone back and listened to toby go off about his initial reaction to the story you may ask okay do you have any thoughts now And to be honest, I am mostly just in total agreement with Toby's emotional reaction. The story hits you with a lot of different things right away to take you off balance, before it settles into reunions and exposition. And then, after you've come back down and wondered to yourself, okay, they're going home, now what? Chapter 5 comes along and knocks you out of your comfort zone again with the revelation of Seth. Toby and I have talked at times how various books in New Century will ramp up the pressure and excitement, and then bring it back down again, much the way a good movie does. Previously highlighted examples were the ramping and subsiding and let them go, as characters were killed off by the bar guest or something new went wrong, one of the chapters literally being titled A Quiet Moment. And Tiger's Eye has the ebb and flow of ramping action slash tension and then bringing it back down to quieter character moments set up to a T. Back in Time and Space also manages this exceptionally well. In theory, there aren't actually that many action scenes, but the experience of altering time and then seeing how those alterations work out create their own tension. This book manages to do a lot with emotional peaks and lows, for being a cerebral story, without a lot of fight scenes or action-heavy moments. And that is basically just down to how this story is crafted. But those are generalities. Let's get back to specifics. I guess I'll finish off by just sort of, like, saying how I feel, like, once we get to, like, what the premise of it is. So you see the chapter with Seth, and you're just thinking, like, how do we fix this? And Mm -hmm. that is what the rest of the book is. And here's the thing. The rest of this book is a pair of people just trying to figure out a workable answer to the most complicated equation, maths and space and logic problem that has ever been presented to any other people. And they are alone in this. It feels so isolating. This is a very lonely book, despite the familiar faces we see, including some dear, dearly missed ones who mm. make a comeback. And I was like, something I s- sort of summarized is like, back in time plus space, hey, remember all these dead characters you love? And it just keeps hitting you. When I saw Annie, I like, oh, my heart broke. And when you see Lucy, you're like, oh, this is so wonderful. Why is it so, like, why can't this happen? And then, and then Alex (laughs) knew 
he went right for the heart because he knew he knew who to go for and he gave us Carl the sick son of a bitch he knew and not only that but Carl has like he talks about his husband Virgil and you're like yes <laughs> punching yes. the fucking air oh. yes well, I'm so sorry I'm going on the ramblings but like to summarize my point, because I I've clung to this ball so tightly, so much I need to I need to put it down. It does so much in those opening chapters that you feel like you're sort of zipping around, and but like it always grounds you. There's always an immediate emotion that like you may be wondering how has like all of this happened. Like Abigail has a teenage daughter, and it's they have like a lot of resentment and they know everything about like what Abigail has gone through. And like mm -hmm. the plan is to go to another timeline. And I equated it to like going to T2 Terminator yeah. two and seeing like John Connor, who has been told all this like heavy shit that like no teenager should have. And the difference being though I had to like half take back my words on that. I said that the main difference is that like, whereas the moment we see John Connor in T2, he's sort of skeptical about everything that his mother taught him. He has complicated feelings about it, but is sort of inching towards the side of like expecting or almost half hoping that she is like wrong or like in a disappointed way. Whereas Charlie has this resentment about the fact that like they have this semi-certainty that like this is happening and this is something that is coming for them sooner or later and then when Charlie Penrose uh the child we follow for the majority of the book meets her father and that's a confirmation she had half hope been hoping that this would prove to be a delusion that Edward and Abigail shared there's a an emotion to all of this. Like you're all you're always certain of what the characters are feeling and what these relatable moments are. Like Abigail trying to connect to their child who has just grown more distant over the years. That there's an inevitable connection to the rest of the world that Abigail was powerless to stop. Like when they were walking through the woods, and she specifically says, "Before you went online," and that's such a like human relatable thing that i can't even conceive of for a parent in this modern age with just the dilemma of mm. our kids are going to be exposed to so much more than we ever could and they will grow up so much faster than we ever could have realized and mm. i'm sure so much of this book comes from the lived experiences of not just Alex and Sharon, but uh, from Willow, who the mm. Black Matter specifically uh, says, and you can see if, like, if you've heard anything of uh, how the identity and personality that uh, we have learned from just Alex talking about Willow, you can see just elements of that, and it's it's really human, and there's a connection there, but you can see that there's so much perspective involved in this collection of characters that's what keeps you grounded even though you're zipping between all this like mind expanding new developments and it's what i love about it is that as lost as you can get there's something at the heart and that 
carries throughout the rest of the book. But once you get to the end of that first part, the road is clear. We're heading forward now because we've been going up and down the timeline before, but now that timeline is more or less lost to us mm. in like as they the developments go forward, it will literally dissolve. And the only way forward is forward, I guess, even though like they are like going all they are going all over the place, but there is a constant progression forward in this book, which is like I said before, it's exhilarating, but it's draining and it's you're so with them because of how staggering that opening act is and after all this information it keeps you focused on two perspectives charlie and doc edward it grabs you it grabs you and you have to see it through to the end that's it that's the end of my rambling for now sorry just trying to process everything that you've said so far um it's heavy why is everything so heavy it's because this book is heavy um mm. you know that's that's the despite it being digital yes exactly Ooh. it's intriguing and, mm. and and relevant i think that in this time travel story we're talking about not just back to the future but also terminator 2 mm. and that we're relating it to charlie's experience specifically and actually before i even get onto this topic I just want to get into briefly here. The story itself refers to Charlie, a good portion of it, as she. Mm. Now, we understand that Charlie is gender fluid as mm. opposed to non-binary. And because there is a female Charlie and a male Charlie, in the introduction in particular, I was tending to refer to Charlie as they. In general, I'm trying to go with what the book says, and if the book is referring to Charlie as she, is using these mm. pronouns because that is how she is presenting herself, mm. and that is how she presents herself throughout the story proper. She says mm. at the end that she's feeling the pull to be more masculine again, but that's something that we're not going to see until the next book that includes them. Possibly um, the epilogue, but I might have to check the pronouns on that one. But uh, it might not have occurred at that point. And yeah. really, it's it, as time goes on, we shall see. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Because this is a story that focuses on Charlie, that means that everything is filtered through their experience. And it's a different kind of experience than two of the major pieces of media that help to inform this as a story and as a time travel narrative and, and everything like that. Part of Charlie's experience is she doesn't momentarily feel disillusioned like John does in that his mother is taken away from him and he's told as a kid before he can think critically that everything that he grew up with was a lie. And mm. then he finds the Terminator and finds out, no, it wasn't a lie. It is, in fact, real. And he feels the need to actually get his mother out of the psych ward. No, in order to save them, but also to have her help on the everything that's going to go forward from there, basically. What we experience very early on from Charlie is that she more or less believes everything that she's been told. I suspect, in particular, that along the way she might have seen the magics of say 
uh, her mother's shield in action and everything like that. She potentially mm. knows that the magic exists, and she's been told enough of the story that it's sort of been ingrained into her, and she does believe in all of it to a certain mm. extent, but until it actually starts playing out, there is still some degree of she hasn't experienced it yet. She hasn't seen James, her father. Until the story proper, she hasn't seen the time machine actually take effect. And even then, it takes those moments on the beach with Seth before this world is actually real to her. Mm. She is a teenager, and at that point in someone's life, it's all about wanting to live for yourself, wanting to create your own reality, rather mm. than be tied down to the reality of your parents. That's a mm. very natural state to be in at that particular age. Mm. When your parents aren't your whole world anymore, and even if mm. your experience with your parents has been good, there is still some natural... Not rebellion necessarily, but the desire to find one's own way. And she feels like that agency is being taken away from her mm. uh, by Abigail insisting that she has to come back, back, back in time with her to her world. Mm. Not, even, not even the past of Nickelback, the past of another world that is not hers. I, I referred earlier to the, the, the idea of this being a hero's journey narrative so these early chapters are very much charlie wanting to refuse the call basically oh yes i really like the way that they cement that which was that she has like an email or something that she has not hit the upload button on yet it's odd because her refusal of the call is the desire to return home mm -hmm. so it's sort of like okay i'm not going to do the hero's journey but i am going to do that last part about returning home that's the part that like mm -hmm. i want of course if you wanted to get nitpicky the refusal of the call often comes from the desire to remain at home rather than simply return there after the adventure is done for luke skywalker it was the feelings of responsibility for bilbo baggins it was the fear of the unknown and the desire to remain a normal member of the community. We don't ever really find out what Charlie's idea is for how she is going to convince people to let her return to Nickelback, but the point is that she doesn't actually want the adventure. And that's why up until the beach, she is determined to return to her time and her friends no matter what. I think that, yes, teenagers... The desire to carve your own future is very much a defining impulse and philosophy and experience of being like an adolescent. And in a time travel narrative, that impulse is just like expanded and made literal and even more complex. There was As that a... moment literally in Back to the Future where Marty is talking about the demo tape with his girlfriend and he's like well what if they listen to it and they tell me get out of here you got no future kid uh, <laughs> and i was about to bring up back to the future because it's somewhat relevant to this book and i was trying to think about how like that how the idea of like 
teenagers and so much of life ahead is uncertain so the questions of like how you want to carve it even while there's still limitations and what you can do to defy them and escape from them just being brought in collision into a collision course or to ride alongside just a time travel adventure that's something that defines both back to the future and back in time plus space and i was wondering about how those two end up being different or like what are the differences between the two despite Mm -hmm. back in time plus space being such a sort of homage but being very different in its course than what uh, back to the future ends up being i think a defining thing is that even though back to the future ultimately ends up creating a new future in that like by the time the first film of the trilogy ends his father is a different man almost literally to the father that he knew in his original lifetime and timeline we won't get into the timelines of back into the future that's for this book to get into but um the point of most of it is not to necessarily like create a new future that's sort of like a side effect that happens as Mm. a result of Marty's like human impulses that he wants to help his dad He's trying to restore the future. Exactly. That's what it is. It's a restorative future. But the problem is, it's very difficult not to talk about back in time and space and specifically how back to the future relates to it because Mm. there's there's more in there that I eventually want to get into. But yeah, one, one of the key aspects of back to the future is that Marty is trying to ensure that his future still exists so that he doesn't Mm. get wiped from existence yes and he succeeds but he succeeds in creating a future that is very different from the one he grew up in Mm. and And in point of fact it can wrinkle your brain a little bit when -hmm. you think about marty by the end of back to the future is also an outsider Mm, because he is now his original timeline yes exactly the timeline that he is a part of doesn't exist anymore and now Mm. the marty that grew up in that timeline has disappeared leaving Mm. him the only marty to take its place and now he has to grow up in a world that is similar to his but he's carrying around his world is different yes exactly his family is different like to for a like a man of that age, his world is different. And it's almost not one could consider a relief or something mm. like that, but it's like he never has to deal with living in a world that is not his own because he immediately is taken by the doc on a new adventure. Mm. In point of fact, when you think about it, his girlfriend that shows up to go on that adventure with him, that's not the version of her that he remembers either. Mm. Their dynamic is inexplicably the same, but like we shan't get too much into it. In this, Toby is right. Back in time and space may be inspired by the movie, but we should really be focusing on the novel. Especially since the New Century book takes into consideration the complicated problems with the logic of Back to the Future, and addresses them, fixes them, or both. The point that I wanted to make Mm-hmm. And apologies for interrupting because no, no, this, no, no, I, I love this chemistry, chemistry, like the, uh, temporal chemistry. It's great. But the point I wanted to make is that despite the outcome having this sort of progressive like ideas that like we are changing things 
for the better. Mm-hmm. For most of the movie, the impulse is rather conservative. We need to make things as it was. Like mm-hmm. we need to restore the world that I knew. And then when you go back, you can never go home, but you can sure shop there. But <laughs> like I misquoted it, I'm sure. I'm sorry, Sharon. That's very different to what's going on in Back in Time Plus Space, because they are aware they are not restoring and returning to their original timeline. Very early on, they know they are building a new future. And that's what makes, I think, this one so, like, it doesn't necessarily go into the implications in Back to the Future. It goes into all of the implications here because it's existentially terrifying and that's why by the end charlie has been through the wars she's tried over and over and over and had to lose so much and witness so much spatial temporal death and destruction and she has seen her parents die like think of this she has seen or heard about her parents die almost a dozen times at this Mm. point so when she goes back to that person who is and is not it's such a like they are building a new world and that is i think the most sort of in keeping with what new this is a time travel story but it is a success because it is a new century time travel story (laughs) in that what is new century about if not taking a crap sack of the worst possible things and building something better moving forward to try at least to make something better that's what makes this a new century time travel story yeah it really does man we're going all in and we are like barely halfway there right yeah exactly well okay so the important (laughs) thing to remember is that this is this is the hot takes episode Mm -hmm. eventually you and i are going to do a retrospective where we can dig Mm. into every little piece of it and take our time with it and talk about it for mm. hours and hours. Mm. This is a limited amount of time that we can devote to it. So it's all about our initial impressions yes. and feelings and the thoughts. That, these are the thoughts that we have today that we have mm. recorded today. More time and more rereading and more discussion will allow for further exploration for all of this. And mm. there is so much to explore. It may be disappointing to end it there, just as we're getting to the good stuff. But I'm already behind on getting this iteration of News of the Century turned around, and the next episode I need to focus on has to be either our next Arlington episode, or the first episode of Century Tales. As mentioned previously, the audience for News is even a smaller subset of our normal audience, due to the fact that only a few people have read the book. But hot takes are hot takes because you get them out fresh, and that's why I don't make these episodes part of the weekly schedule. I want to have that reserved for something everyone can enjoy, new and old fans alike. To play us out for today, I wanted very specifically to pick something relevant to some of the music referenced in the book itself. Madonna's True Blue album was one I actually listened to a lot when I was a kid, in that the actual record was handed down to me by my older sister along with a couple Cindy Lauper LPs like She's So Unusual and True Colors. So when that album got referenced in the book, there was only one song that came to mind as being most appropriate. So until next time, this is Madonna singing 
Live to Tell.
truth is never far.